0: He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. For the next kind of seven, eight weeks during the season of Easter, we're going to be focusing on the lectionary readings that come from the book of Acts. The the series is entitled Living in the Power of the Resurrection. And we're simply asking the question, like, how, how does the risen Lord Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, bring transformation into ordinary human life and communities? And the book of Acts outlines this kind of messy but exciting work of the Lord. Now, before we get started, I just want to acknowledge up front for our own community coming out of this season that, that there's, a, there's a range of experiences that people are having as we are coming out of, to some extent, this, this COVID season. As I've been talking with many of you have been realizing there seem to be kind of three different places that people are in. Some people have, based on how people have experienced this last year, some are still grieving the challenges of the last year and the losses that have been experienced. And and as we've been getting some new people kind of coming to the services and realizing, oh man, we've lost some of of our family members uh, in in our church family and, and they're dearly missed. Others are are coming to our church for the first time in this season and and they're excited about getting to be a part of a new church. It's a bit of a blank slate. and uh, yet on yet there might be complicated reasons why why they left another church to come to Holy Trinity, and um, there's there's much to be processed through there. And then there are some people that are just like excited to be getting back to some semblance of meeting in person and and, and hopeful about the future and all all of this. and And so I just want to say to you that like, there is space for every one of those experiences in in the church. And that the risen Jesus has this unique ability to minister to each and every one of us where we are at individually, as well as to our whole community as as a people. That the Lord Jesus has ability to create space for lament and grief and processing that. And, And he also has space to build fresh hope and vision and plant new seeds of life in our community and he can do those things at the same time as the risen Lord so I just kind of want to name that and that 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 I want our church to be a spacious place to experience the presence and refreshment of the Lord together to be formed in his likeness together And if there's any way that you would like to just talk with somebody or myself about what you're going on, what's going on for you, and and listen to the Lord together in that, I'd be totally happy to do that with you. Now, as we enter into the book of Acts, the the first topic that we, we encounter is the topic of repentance. What does it look like to live in the power of the resurrection, according to Peter's sermon this morning? It means repentance. And nothing is new here. I mean Jesus' very first sermon if you in the gospels is he says he shows up on the scene in Galilee and says the kingdom of God is at hand. What what should you do? Repent and believe the good news. So this morning I just want to enter into this topic of repentance through through a few different angles or questions. The, the first is why repent? Second, what is repentance? And, and third, what are the blessings or benefits of repentance? So first, why repentance? This answer that we get in Acts chapter 3 is is, is simple. Why repent? Because God has glorified Jesus. He's raised him from the dead. He is king. He reigns over all. And so your lives need to be aligned with his. And, And Peter proclaims this message in each of his first two sermons in the book of Acts in the wake of Pentecost. And this morning, we're listening to Peter's second sermon. Now, the context is really important here. Peter and John were walking, through, um, they were walking through the temple gates, and they came across a poor man, a beggar, who had been lame his whole entire life. He was a fixture of the society. People walked past him every day. They knew he would ask for money. They knew his name. They knew where he sat. And he, it had always been that way. Things had never changed for however many years he had been alive. Yet this one day when Peter and John walk past him and he asks the age-old question, Do you have any money you can give me? Peter and John stop, filled with the Holy Spirit. They look at this man and they say, We don't have any money we can give you, but this we can give you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, pick up your mat and walk. And instantly this man is healed. And Luke is very intentional to tell us that this man was lame from birth, meaning this act of Peter and John was not just a simple act of restoring some sort of health that this man once experienced, but it was an act of completely new creation. This man is walking when he had never walked before, and this hits the city like wildfire. Crowds start to amass around Peter and John and the healed man. There's a buzz running through the streets. And the question that everybody is asking is, who are these people? By what power or piety were they enabled to heal this man? Because, because we want a piece of this. And it's in that context that Peter stands up for the second time, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he preaches to the crowds of people that are interested in this healing. And Peter does something very interesting. He, he looks the crowds in the face, and he says, if you want to know, if you want to really come to grips with the power that has been at work in healing this man, you're going to have to come to the grips with something that is very deeply personal. It's the fact that the name... In which this man was healed, Jesus of Nazareth, is the exact name that you are so vehemently opposed to. And so Peter says, you killed this man who is healing this person, the author of life. You see, what Peter wants the crowds to see is that this healing is, is, is a sign of something much bigger than just a magical force at work in the world, this healing, especially in the name of Jesus, is a sign that God has raised Jesus from the dead, that he is still alive, and that Jesus is powerfully at work in the world. I mean, Luke tells us that this is the intention of Acts all along. In the very first verse of the book of Acts, he says, in the first book, meaning the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so Luke's implication is that the book of Acts continues to speak of what the risen Jesus and ascended Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit continues to do and teach in the world. And so what Peter is saying to these crowds here is that the power that is at work in the world to bring healing is the power of the very person that you crucified just some seven and eight weeks ago, and you need to come to grips with that. This would not have been a popular thing to preach (laughs) to the crowds of Jewish believers. But what Peter is doing in these verses is just so genius. Because at one and the same time, he is showing the crowds how sinful they are and how vehemently opposed to the purposes of God they are, or they have been. And how loved they are by that very God they've opposed It seems like Peter is saying at one and the same time, you are more sinful than you have recognized and ever could have imagined. But you are more loved than you recognized and ever could have imagined. And he shows them this by bringing them into the ironies of Holy Week. He says to them, you delivered and denied the holy and righteous one. He's using language in the Old Testament that is used of Yahweh alone. And he's saying to them, you have delivered and denied your very own God by delivering and denying Jesus. And then he goes on to say, you have killed the author of life. Like there's this deep irony that you asked for Barabbas um, to be released, a murderer, all the while asking for murder of this man, Jesus of Nazareth and here peter is just echoing the directness of jesus himself remember jesus in the upper room with his disciples saying you are clean but one of you is not clean and now peter says you all have killed the author of life and then what peter does is he sandwiches this proclamation with with two statements that that god has 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 a different verdict on jesus he says god has glorified the servant his servant jesus whom God has raised from the dead. In other words, Peter wants to say to the crowds that the resurrection is God's yes to humanity's no. They wanted to kill Jesus. They were saying no to Yahweh, the Holy and Righteous One. And it was at that very moment that Yahweh, the Holy and Righteous One, was saying yes to them. God's yes to humanity's no. And the resurrection reveals that this is exactly what the cross is. And Peter says the resurrection reveals that the whole course of human history has been moving to this climactic moment since the Garden of Eden. From Abraham to Moses to Samuel to all the prophets, uh, Peter says in verses 22 to 25, the whole thing has been fulfilled in the risen Lord who reigns over all. So now, says Peter, is the time to repent. And to align your lives with the kingdom of God breaking into the world in Jesus of Nazareth. And so Peter gets very personal and direct with them. Verse 17, and now brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has now fulfilled. Therefore, repent and turn again. So why repent? It's because precisely at that moment where we were most vehemently opposed to God, God did everything he had to do to deal with our sins and to love us fully where we were most unlovely. You can hear echoes of Jesus here on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. It is that lavish grace that's ironic and surprising mercy that fuels and motivates repentance and it raises the question then what is repentance? And here, I think when we hear the word repentance, it conjures up in us a whole bunch of mixed emotions. On the one hand, because all of us have experienced what it's like to be in a sermon or to be walking on the side of the street and have somebody screaming at us or yelling at us that we need to repent of something. And it just feels so harsh and condemning. On the other hand, we, I think some of us have lived in, in church circles where it's easy to talk about our sins, to even feel sorry about our sins, to have some sort of remorse over our sins and to confess them and to receive Jesus' forgiveness week in and week out, yet to experience no real life change and transformation in that area of sin. So what does repentance look like in real life, not just as something that's shouted at you on the streets or as something that brings no real transformation? A few stories may illustrate it. I remember when I was in Canada, a middle-aged man coming to his pastor and finally admitting that he had been struggling with a sexual addiction for 12 years and had told nobody (laughs) and he spent the next two hours praying with that pastor and concretely mapping out on paper what are the next steps that man entered into a sexual and relational healing program he committed to meeting with his pastor every single month and there was this series of concrete actions. They came out of that office. I remember young and brilliant graduate student who was leading a Bible study that was, that was very transformative for the, the members of her Bible study. And as she was leading through Paul's words about how, how Christians should speak to one another in Ephesians chapter four, she felt convicted, the Holy Spirit's conviction in her life, in all of her brilliance. She realized that she was using her intelligence to speak in ways that are cutting or biting towards other people. And so she committed to her Bible study in the midst of that, even as the leader, I'm going to take away cutting speech and practice encouraging speech that builds up. Would you hold me accountable to this? A young businessman that I once met dreamed of making it big and becoming a billionaire one day. That was his goal. I remember being invited to his house and and walking to his room one time, and his room was plastered with life-size posters of the world's 10 wealthiest people, how much they made and how they made it. And he spent every minute of his free time mapping out different potential ways in which he could amass a fortune and retire before 40 years old. And I remember talking to him about Jesus, how it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God than than a camel to enter through the eye of a needle. And it took a full year, but eventually Jesus won his heart. And I'll never forget that day when Jesus finally captured his heart and he started tearing down those posters off the wall. He started insisting that every single dollar he made, he was going to give the first 10% of that to those people who needed it most. And I remember walking through him through a season of about two years of unemployment, which would be the worst thing for somebody who wanted to amass a fortune, and seeing that he had the joy of the Lord amidst it all. Final example, there was a seasoned father who was driving his firstborn son to to a, a new country so that he could go to grad school. On that road trip, the father confessed to his son that he had one regret about his upbringing. It was that he was absent for much of his childhood. And even though they were in different countries now, the father said he wanted to start practicing what it looked like to be relationally and emotionally present. And that son received a phone call every week just to talk about how he was doing. You see in each of these stories, very different circumstances. Repentance shows up as something that is concrete. It's earthly. Sometimes it's costly and it's very on the ground stuff. And the repentance, and the Bible tells us that repentance brings us into a realm of spaciousness and freedom. Repentance is freedom. Paul says in Galatians chapter five, it is for freedom that you have been set free. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter one, he says, uh, Thessalonian church, I am. I brag about you to the other churches for your spiritual maturity. And here's why. Because when you hear the gospel preached, you don't just hear it and then walk away and are untransformed by it. But the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you and changes your life. And I've been told from the pastors at your church that you are turning from idols as God reveals them and you are turning to the true and living God. That's what repentance is. And so in the Bible, we see that repentance is something very concrete, and it's very active. And it's something that happens with great urgency, because people know that it means to enter into the freedom of the Lord. And so that's why we see in our passage that that Peter twice uses the language of turning right in relationship, close proximity to the language of repentance. And the word that, that he uses in Greek is the same Greek word, but with different prepositions. And the different prepositions give different nuances to the type of action that, that repentance evokes in us. So the Greek word is strepho, which just means to turn, to, do, to turn around, to make, to make a movement from going one direction to the next. But there's different prepositions put on it. So in verse 19, the verb is epistrepho, which means to turn toward someone or something. In verse 26, the verb is apostrefo, which means to turn away from something. So verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. In Luke chapter 17, we get a, a, even a different preposition added. It's hupostrefo. It's, it's up, it's which, uh, which in this context, it's, it's got, Jesus has healed 10 lepers and they go away to show the priest. But only one of the lepers, Strefo, turns around to praise and thank Jesus for the fact that he has been healed. So what is repentance uh, in our passage? It is a turning away from wickedness turning away from idols, turning away from the ways we're misaligned with Jesus. And it is turning towards the true and living God and the freedom that he gives us in aligning our lives with him. So it's something very concrete and active. But it's not necessarily something that is easy. Repentance can, can be something that is deeply painful and costly in one sense. We see this in the Gospel of Luke. I I love Luke's Gospel because he so often pays attention, not just to what Jesus says to people, what he invites them into, but uh, the different ways in which people respond to Jesus. and, And it's just so human. A couple great examples. Zacchaeus in chapter 19. Jesus finds Zacchaeus as Zacchaeus is hiding from Jesus. And he says, Zacchaeus, I want to go have dinner at your house. And after encountering the mercy and the fellowship and the transforming love of Jesus, Zacchaeus says to Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to pay back everybody I've stolen money from four times what I've stolen them. So Zacchaeus says, I'm going to make reparations to those I've frauded. And then he says, and whatever money I I have left, I'm going to give like half of it to the poor who really need it. And Jesus looks at him and says, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come upon your house. So repentance there looks like Zacchaeus turning from his greed to turning into radical generosity. But in chapter 18, the chapter just previous, Jesus encountered a rich young ruler who said to him, Jesus, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, obey the law. Love your, your, you know, your father, your, honor your father and mother. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal all these things. And the rich young ruler said, I've got all that covered. I'm a religious, pious man. I listen to scripture and I follow it. And Jesus says to him, yeah, but there's one thing. You need to sell your excess possessions and and give that money to the poor. And the passage says that this man went away sad because Jesus' teaching was hard. And so Luke shows us that, that repentance is something that not everybody is ready for. Because sometimes it can be hard. And that we need to ask the work, it's only as we experience the love and the fellowship and the hospitality and the graciousness of Jesus like Zacchaeus did when Jesus invited, said, I'm going to have dinner with you at your home, that we are actually free to enter into the joy of repentance. So why repentance? Because Jesus loves us when we're most unlovable. What is repentance? It is a practical, concrete turning away from sin towards God. And finally, what are the benefits and blessings that accompany repentance? See, verse 16, interestingly, portrays repentance itself as a gift and a blessing of God. But verses 19 through 20 speak of blessings that come on the heels of repentance. So repentance has the purpose of bringing us into the blessing of God. And there's three blessings that are mentioned. Verse 19, the removal of sin or like total forgiveness. Verse 20, refreshment of the soul, spiritual refreshment. And then verse 21, restoration of all things, like this universal, cosmic, new creation, redemption. And I want to submit to you that that each one of these blessings directly addresses some aspect of life that often feels like a hindrance to our repentance. So let me try to flesh this out as we... of finish up our sermon together. The first is total forgiveness in verse 19. The blessing of total forgiveness addresses our fear of being really honest about our sin and our brokenness. Like Adam and Eve, part of the fall is that each one of us wants to hide who we really are, both from God and from one another. And there's a lot of reasons why this can be the case. Sometimes it's because of this deep feeling of guilt uh, we, are, we, are, we, we are not proud of who we are. <laughs> and sometimes it's because of the sense of shame. We are scared of, of, of what others will really think of us when they really know who we are deep down. And so we hide. And we remain silent. And we end up bearing and suffering our sins alone. And if we stay in that place for long enough, it's where we end up in a place of despair. Well, is there any hope for me? Will, will Jesus' grace really ever transform my life? And if you're finding yourself in this place this morning, I want to say to you that God's word for you today comes in verse 19. Repent. Why? That your sins may be blotted out. Blotted out is a term that comes from ancient calligraphy and writing. It means to wipe away, to wash off, to erase something that has already been written. Something that's already been written on your life to be washed away. And it's the same word that's used twice in the book of Revelation. Both of God who wipes away our tears and of Christ who refuses to erase our name from the book of life. So my brothers and sisters, for those of you who have a tough time being honest about who you really are before God and others, your word, the word of the Lord for you today is, is total forgiveness. The Lord will blot away your sins as you repent of them. Second is spiritual refreshment. And this, this comes in verse 20. The blessing of spiritual refreshment addresses our fear that repentance is just going to be all pain, no gain. <laughs> I think we do fear this. Like even in the Garden of Eden, when, when the great lie that the serpent was whispering into the ears of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is God is holding out on you. God, God, He's given you some good things, but He's not really going to give you what's best. And I think sometimes deep down, we convince ourselves that, that the work of repentance is going to make life worse, not better. That, that really entering into and turning from something is going to make some area of my life really, really painful. And sometimes it's true that, that there's potentially very real relational or financial or reputational cost to turning. And it makes us wonder, is it really worth it? And so I think if you find yourself in this, this place this morning, I think God's word for you comes in verse 20. Repent. Why? That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that word for refreshing is a term that comes from the ancient world of medicine. It's the, it, 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 it means the healing of a deep and open wound. And often in the ancient world, they would do this by exposing that wound to fresh air out in an open space. When I think of fresh air in open space, it brings back memories of of hiking the the Welsh coastlines or or the the rolling Scottish hills. And so what I think this image is bringing before us is that repentance is intended to bring us into a, a spacious place for our souls. A place that refreshes our lives and brings healing to our deep wounds. And one of the things that's interesting about this is that this refreshing and this healing is deeply personal. It says that it will come from the presence, but the word there is prasopu. It means literally from the face of the Lord. So that this refreshing is going to come from a very personal act of God in our lives when we turn from our sins we do not find ourselves abandoned but we say we find jesus there waiting to greet us and meet us and say come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest so if you are in a place today where you have a fear that repentance will mean all pain no gain god's word to you is no repentance is the doorway to deep refreshment in the face in the presence of god almighty And third and finally, the third blessing that we're offered in repentance is universal restoration. This blessing of universal restoration addresses our fear that repentance is going to leave us behind in the world somehow. I think we all know, kind of intuitively and instinctively, that the ways of the Lord are not always the ways of the world. And that to to follow the way of the Lord, to really follow Jesus, is going to mean finding ourselves aligned with him, but misaligned with the ways of the world. And this is gonna be um, reflected in in the way that we engage in in social media and the virtual world. This is gonna be reflected in in business ethics and the way in which we we relate in the boardroom. This is gonna be reflected in like family and sexual ethics and the way in which we relate in the home and our neighborhoods and a whole bunch of things. And one of the things that can happen when we start feeling that misalignment from the world because we're aligned with Jesus and we're repenting of things, the ways of the world, is that we can feel like it has a negative impact on our relation to the world. That that, that like we're just starting to miss out economically or or socially or politically or you name it. And if we're deep down honest with ourselves, we don't want to miss out on what the world has to offer. <laughs> so often if we're honest, we want what the world has to offer just as much as the next person, whether they're Christian or not. And so if you find yourself in this place today, kind of this fear of missing out in some way, God's word for you today, I think comes in verses end of 20 and 21. Repent, why? That, that God may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive, and here it is, until the time for the restoration of all things. I think, I think what's being held out to here here to us is, is God's wanting to remind us, look, to repent may feel like in some ways you're going to miss out on what the world has to offer now. But I want to remind you that when you gain Jesus, you gain the Lord and the first fruits of the new creation. He is bringing it. And so when you align yourself with Jesus, you align yourself with the new creation, the new heavens and earth, the Revelation 21 and 22 picture of what is giving, being brought into the world by God. And so you're not going to miss out on the end. You're actually going to gain everything. I think this is why Paul said in Romans chapter 8, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul's looking forward to the new creation. So repent, says Peter. Turn to the Lord Jesus. Turn away from anything that keeps you from Jesus. Because in gaining Jesus, you are going to gain the forgiveness of all your sins. You are going to gain a refreshment and a rest for your souls that you could hardly imagine experiencing anywhere else. And you are going to gain the fullness of the restoration of all things. The new creation is going to be yours, and you're going to reign with Christ forever. This is the blessing of God that he offers to all those who turn and truly repent of their sins. So, my brothers and sisters, I speak these things to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.